and with uh, insignificant comes uh, just unlimited freedom when you don't have to worry so much about what you think about things and no one really it doesn't really matter in the big scale and i think glacial time has a way of of highlighting that and and so that was a sort of that cumulative effect of of uh of hiking within uh those parameters and how it just sort of all melted away and that's the one that sticks with me the strongest Episode 297, Luke Cloberdans talks about thru-hiking the Ice Age National Scenic Trail. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hi, friends. Thank you again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast today. I have a, uh, a neat show for you about a lesser-known through-hiking trail, and I'm excited to learn a lot more about this one because I'll be honest, I didn't know much about it. And so I'm going to be learning right along with you folks today. The trail is the Ice Age Trail. You don't have to go back in time to do this, but it does follow the route that was heavily landscaped by the last Ice Age, which is so cool. So how many of you know what the Ice Age Trail is? Do you know where it is? Do you know anything about it? Well, if not, today's show is going to fill you in. It's a really cool option for a thru-hike that's not quite as big as the Appalachian Trail or the Continental Divide Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, but yet it's still substantial um, there's about 1,200 miles of trail there that you can do. And today I have with us Luke Cloberdans, who is the full-time director of outreach and education for the Ice Age Trail Alliance. So who better to have here to tell us about the Ice Age Trail than Luke? Luke, thank you very much for joining the Adventure Sports Podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here, Kurt. That's awesome, man. I, I'm i so excited to talk about this trail just because it's one that I know so little about, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, for starters, though, tell people where the trail is. We gave them that teaser. We'll give them at least that much. All right. Well, the trail is located in, in Wisconsin, and if you're not familiar with where Wisconsin is, uh, it's in the upper Midwest and on the northern shore uh, of our of the state is Lake Superior, and on the eastern eastern side we have Lake Michigan, and then that uh, little piece of the upper upper peninsula of Michigan State covers uh, the other side, in between those two lakes, and and uh, so it's it's Lake Country, and uh, found yeah in the upper Midwest. Well, I was kind of laughing at, before we started recording here. I don't know why it is, but it seems to me that people may not know Wisconsin as well as they know other states. And I don't know why that is, but I think it's probably true. So for those of us Mm -hmm. who need to know more about Wisconsin, fill us in. What is Wisconsin like? Oh, well, it's home to the Green Bay Packers. I mean, let's be, you know, first right out of the gate uh, <laughs> with that one. Um, but no, Wisconsin is, it's a really uh, diverse state uh, in terms of, of landscape and and certainly geology. And that that is our story. But, um, you know, there's 
when you go across the northern part of the state, it's very remote and very uh, rugged woods, deep woods of the Shawamigan, Nicolay National Forest System. Um, but on the southern half, you really get a lot of diversity in terms of uh, prairies and uh, big old oak savannas and and uh, you know grand grand views of of our glacial landscape. And as you mentioned, it was you know carved out by the last uh, glacial advance and and what Wisconsin really cherishes uh, is that the fact that this is we're home to some of the highest density of those glacial features found anywhere in the world. So um, that's that's really what the the trail uh, traverses and and what the long distance hikers can experience as they're going along are these, you know, we don't have giant mountains, but we have got lots of ups and downs and twists and turns uh, along the way through through glacial landscape uh it's home also to uh some of the bigger bigger cities i guess in our area would be uh, milwaukee certainly uh, madison and um we've got chicago with less than an hour's drive from the trail and, and the twin cities are also less than an hour hour drive uh, from from the nearest trailhead um but outside of that, you know, you can plan on a, a classic uh, Friday night fish fry at just about any uh, bar or restaurant uh, and also home to some great craft beers uh, long before it was cool to be home to craft beers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. And what I like about this, too, you think about it, the Appalachian Trail, we got the Appalachian Mountains, the Continental Divide Trail, that's the tall one, right? You're going through the heart of the Rockies. And then the Pacific Crest Trail, you're going through the Sierra Nevadas, you're going through the Cascades. Those are all big mountain trails. Wisconsin here, we're not talking about a big mountain trail, but like you said, there are lots of ups and downs and variety in the landscape. Does that make it an easier trail, or would you say mm. not necessarily? Well, yeah, it, that's a, a really good question. Um, so, yes, I would say, you know, physically in terms of uh, gain and, and it's very, very easy in, in that sense. So, you know, you can move through the landscape pretty freely. Um, you know, you're not chugging up long uh, mountain traverses. But but I think what, what separates it a little bit is, is some of that, uh, you know, some of that uh, ecosystem that's particularly, I think, in the north where we have very, very few volunteers that help uh, maintain and, and build the trail. And, and it, it can be a test for a lot of people. Uh, you know, there's at any given time, we can have a, a beaver, beaver dam just flood a whole section of trail uh, to, uh, to blow downs to anything that we're just not able to get to as quickly as we might like. But, you know, we're working on changing uh, our maintenance pattern there. But it's really something that we're, we're proud of the, the, different uh, experience levels of people that can use this trail. Um, you know, I think what the push in a lot of ways isn't as much physical uh, as it is mental since you, you aren't very likely uh, to see many other backpackers on, on, on the trail if on a through hike. You know, you'll see them in certainly big parks or, or well-known areas like the Kettle Moraine State Forest. But, but once you hit, uh, you know, the northern half, you're, you're very likely to be the only one out there, uh, backpacker or otherwise, that you'll see for days on end. Mm, so uh, a lot more solitude than some of the major trails that are more popular these days. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't have a permitting process, uh, and uh, that we have 150 people since 1958 uh, have have 
done the whole trail. Uh, we call them thousand milers, and whether it's a section hike or or a through hike, um, that's where where it sits right now. And so, yeah, you will see day hikers. Uh, certainly, the the trail goes near Milwaukee and and Madison, and you'll see see people out on the their you know evening run or jog or walking the dog or whatever. But um, you know, as you as you progress away from some of those population centers, you don't you don't see many people at all. Um, so yeah, it's it's mentally challenging that way, and and uh, not quite as many people, not the the strong social network that you see in some of those other trail systems. Right. Well, I want to come back to more talk about the Ice Age Trail here in a little bit, but I want to get your backstory mm-hmm. first. So, sure. Um, how did you get started? In backpacking, what drew you into it? Mm, well, I mean, like a lot of people, it probably just, you know, being a kid and going out with my family. And, you know, it was kind of a, uh, while we didn't go on long backpacking trips, we go camping and we hiked all the time. And it was a, it was a, really just was like how I grew up. It was a way of life. And, and um, when I moved to Wisconsin uh, from Minnesota, I started looking for that, you know, what's my outlet. And I didn't like, a lot of people are listening to the show today. I didn't, I didn't know about the Ice Age Trail, and so I started googling backpacking in, in Wisconsin. And so here I found this trail and started just uh, uh, walking it and getting out and finding that place for my my release, if you will. You know, the way to disconnect to uh, reconnect with myself. And and uh, so yeah, through my youth and then. With the Ice Age Trail, just started walking it and seeing what it was all about and becoming more interested and and going on guided hikes and having people talk about the glacial uh, geology was just fascinating to me. You know, I always considered like a, a hill just sort of was there. It never had a way of being created. And when you think about that, it changes your outlook on, on the landscape for sure. Mm. You know, I know that that part of Wisconsin, probably all of Wisconsin was completely covered, but the, the part of Wisconsin to the north especially had to be under a lot of ice. Mm-hmm. Do you know how yeah. thick the, the glaciers were at the time? About a mile thick uh, sheet of ice that came through came through the state, and it didn't it didn't cover the entire state. The southwest corner of Wisconsin is called the Driftless Area, and and because there was lack of a drift, uh, and that part what what the trail itself follows is the furthest extent of the last glacial advance. So, you know, if you think about that sheet of ice, those cold icy fingers coming down from the north and scouring the land, if you look at the route of the trail on a map, you'll see that was where the last advance stopped. Um, so that's that's where what we follow. So we see a lot of moraines and a lot of drumlins and eskers and glacial features along that route because of that um, finishing spot of, of the last glacial advance. Well, that's fun. So a moraine is where a glacier is pushed up a big pile of sediment, rocks and other things. And, and often that moraine kind of has layers and waves in it where it pushes mm-hmm. and recedes and pushes and recedes and pushes and recedes. So that right. means you're going to have some really interesting hilly landscape with all kinds of of rocks and stuff kind of jumbled together and mixed in together, I'd bet. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so there'd be one moraine would come down and then would recede and then another moraine would come down and land on top of that one, uh, you know, or the rock that it was pushed up by the previous one. So, yeah, we see a lot of really, really interesting uh, landforms. You know, uh, another example is a, an esker where there was this raging river that was flowing underneath the ice. And when the ice receded and that river dried up, the debris that that river was carrying settles on the landscape. Uh, and so in the woods, um, and I'm thinking of several in the north right now where there's this long sinuous ridge that just winds through the woods and we'll try to put the trail on that or next to it. But when you're hiking on a, on an esker, you have a steep drop off of, you know, 200 feet or so on either end of you. And you're walking on this river, this dried up river, uh, through the woods, it really changes your perspective rather than being at that trunk level of, say, those you know, deep hemlock woods. Now you're suddenly you're floating through the or near the top of them and changes your perspective dramatically. Mm. You know, yeah. you're, you're selling me on it. One of my favorite places to, to backpack is where there are moraines and stuff like that, mm-hmm. because I'm not, I'm not really a rock hound. I'm not a geologist, but I, mm. I really enjoy looking at the variety of rocks and trying to pick out this is basalt mm-hmm. and that came from mm-hmm. a volcano and this is mm-hmm. metamorphic you know that came from being underground for a long time and twisted and mixed and then this is well there's some sedimentary thrown in here too and you know being mm-hmm. able to look at all the different stuff and see some of them are just beautiful so oh, yeah we've yeah it's that is you know putting it putting it mildly in some cases you know because we have a wide variety of rocks and a lot of the these erratics, these giant boulders that were brought down, carried from uh, Canada, and they're found scattered in these Wisconsin fields and forests, and and but they they hail from from Canada. And when you, you know, I'm talking the type of rock that farmers farm around; <laughs> they can't move. Mm. Uh, and and seeing those and imagining what that force was that brought them here, you know, I'm not a, a rock hound either, but. Uh, hearing people talk about the the forces that acted on this land and really changed a lot of of what we have here you know we we did have mountain ranges in wisconsin but the the you know long term ice and pushing and scouring the land wore them down uh to what you what we have today and and that erosion effect uh, really changed this landscape uh considerably and so yeah a whole new appreciation for for geology i'm not a geologist by trade and uh nor was ever too terribly interested in it but i until i started hiking and in this area and listening to people talk about what what the what the sheet of ice did to it it's it's a pretty fascinating story and and one that you don't have to be a geologist to appreciate either yeah i watched a documentary a few weeks ago about the formation of the north american continent in your area mm-hmm. there um, mm-hmm. some of the more ancient parts of the continent stick out of the ground in different places there and it it's a uh, lots of volcanic action that was actually happening as the continent was forming. So we're talking about mm-hmm. billions of years ago. It's a nutty thing to think about. But then you have all it the is. glacial action and the sediments on top of it. It's got to be mm-hmm. fascinating. It is. You know, you mentioned basalt, and uh, we had a trail construction project near the Twin Cities where, you know, we were <laughs> working with giant sheets of basalt and chunks of basalt to craft uh, stone steps and and uh, other structures. And yeah, that, that just 
it's really hard to believe in this area, you know, thinking about volcanoes. But uh, sure enough, you know, they were here at one point. Just really sh- highlights the how insignificant we are in a lot of ways, you know, in this brief moment of time we have here. Yeah, just a blip on the radar. Well, right. we covered the geology. How about the geography? From where to where? How, describe for us sure. the route this trail takes. Yeah, so uh, people oftentimes when they talk about Wisconsin, you know, they hold up their hand. It's like the left hand the mitten and the left hand michigan might be the right hand but you know we're that left hand so if your thumb is the door county peninsula the trail uh, one of the eastern terminus is uh, in near at the tip of that door county peninsula a little shy of the tip but right near there and it heads south paralleling uh, lake michigan for quite a few miles till it gets to about milwaukee um, just north of the illinois border and then it swings west uh, towards the center of the state, and at that point, it starts curving back north um, around Madison. There is a bifurcation in the middle. Um, well, the western edge of that bifurcation goes into the Driftless area and takes in uh, Aldo Leopold's uh, shack, if you're familiar with uh, Sand County Almanac. Um, that was uh, Aldo Leopold wrote that book, and it talks about land conservation. Certainly, a great in that regard. Uh, the eastern bifurcation uh, goes through what is, or what was, the the boyhood home of John Muir. So, uh, when John Muir first came to the states, uh, he landed in little old Marquette, uh, Wisconsin, and we were just able last year to successfully. Um, acquire his boyhood home or a portion of his boy boyhood home. So we have the barn, uh, the barn walls where John Muir grew up, protected on very close to the trail, and users can go visit that. And then the bifurcation reconnects just north, um, sort of in the central part of the state, and the trail continues on heading in a straight northerly direction. And and for I don't know a little ways till I would say it's about um, let's see two three hundred miles. Of north of that point, and then it uh, heads almost due west uh, and ends up on the Wisconsin-Minnesota border about an hour northeast of the Twin Cities. Wow, that's cool. You get so, a pretty good tour of the state. Yeah, you do. You you go through 31, uh, 31 different counties, uh, and you know that, that north and south aspect really bring in the different uh, ecosystems that the trail trail travels from you know lake you know the shores of lake michigan to to the prairies to the to the sand sand central sands of the state where uh, at one point it was a giant glacial lake um, and then through the deep deep woods of the north so yeah good diversity for sure mm, very very cool so let's talk a little bit about the flora and fauna mm-hmm. um so what kind of of a uh, plant life. I mean, you're, are you in the forest? Or are you going through the prairie? Mm-hmm. What, what can yeah. someone expect? Yes, <laughs> you go through both of them. Uh, you know, when as as the trail kind of parallels Lake Michigan, I think right out of the gate, what you're struck with is the lake is creating these dunes on the shore. Um, there's only about a mile where you're actually dipping your toes in Lake Michigan uh, of the entire route, but you're in inland far enough that you can see that repeated wave action that created the dunes from for many, many years. And while it goes through that 
um, through that stretch, you certainly get the cool breezes uh, the, associated with the lake. Um, but then it starts sort of veering a little, little west of the lake, and you start getting into big oak savannas. So, you know, we're talking about um, ancient oak trees that uh, that are just you know towering and spreading out, and beneath them grow these um, really nice prairies. So, uh, prairie species like little blue stem, big blue stem. Uh, prairie drop seed, those are all grasses. And then you start getting some of your, your more exotic flowers that are part of the prairie ecosystem. And that really continues across the southern southern horseshoe, if you will, of the trail. And then as you start getting north or going north, you start traveling more into these areas of of pines and you know the prairies are certainly mitigated and you start getting more forest and uh, deeper forest and and then next thing you know you're smack dab in the middle of uh, deep hemlock and and beautiful maple forest maple certainly in the fall is it's pretty stunning the whole woods are woods are on fire um, it looks like from the, not literally, <laughs> but it looks like from the leaves, uh, the way they're all changing and, and, uh, and then across the North, that, that theme continues for, for quite a ways. Um, you know, you are definitely socked into the woods, uh, across the Northern tier. Um, and in the, in the Southern portion, you, you get more of that open, open area, but, um, and climate scientists have the Curtis tension zone that they use to sort of judge, where and how um, the climate is is changing, and the Ice Age Trail traverses both sides of that Curtis Tension Zone. Um, so as that zone moves north northward with uh, you know climate change, then we see our species also land species, uh, plant species also migrating. So we're seeing increased invasive species uh, in the northern part of the state where we didn't have them before, and you know it's it's due partially to that shift of, of, uh, you know, the Curtis tension zone moving northward. So yeah, it's It has a lot of diversity and, uh, in terms of what you can experience while you're out there. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning. And we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. Talking to through hikers that have hiked, you know, the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, things like that. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their favorite part. And it's based mm-hmm. on some people say, I just love to walk under the canopy of the giant trees, and others 
it's like, well, I like it when it opens up and I can see the views. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, so what's cool about what you're describing is that this has it all. Yeah. You're not going to get stuck in one versus the other. No, it it changes. Yeah, it's it shifts on you. And I think that you also have, uh, you know, the other shift is that proximity to to these urban centers. And then all of a sudden they're like gone. <laughs> they're not anywhere near you. And and that changes and, and it's reflected in the in the landscape and, and through the flora and fauna. It's pretty dramatic shifts. Mm. You know, what I'm thinking in my mind here is that we have a lot of listeners who hear people come on our show and talk about their through hike of name the trail, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's it's like, oh, you mean I've got to take an extended leave of absence from work. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to somehow manage a 3,000-mile trek. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm really up for that, but it sounds exciting. I'd like to try something. What, you're, what, what I'm getting the impression of is that this one's a little shorter. You know, it's a third mm-hmm. the distance of the big three, let's say. Right. But it goes through so much diversity, and people can enjoy solitude even more on this trail. I'm beginning to think this might be a great starting place for someone who says, I want to get into through hiking, I just don't have the time or not quite ready to do one of the big three yet. Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely has, it is more more manageable. You know, it takes, you know, depending well, you know, everybody hikes their own hike, right? Uh, but I would say that, you know, 20 miles uh, a day, you know, working up to that for a beginning backpacker, you know, is no problem. I take I take youth groups out on the trail all the time for backpacking adventures. And, and uh, we usually finish with like a 13 or 14 mile day. And they, you know, they feel like they conquered the world. So an adult with the, any sort of backpacking, uh, backpacking experience can certainly cover quite a bit more uh distance but and it is a good it is a good place to sort of get those backpacking chops but but i think the other thing that we've been seeing lately is we're getting more experienced backpackers we're getting the people that have done you know the triple crown people that have done one of them or or have done some of the longer trails and they're thinking like i i just want a place where i can get away from the groups of people Yeah. You know, where I can go out and I can knock this one off easy, uh, you know, put another, you know, if they're after the, the feather in their cap, uh, but some just want to get out and walk and, and not be surrounded, uh, you know, or, you know, wait 15 minutes and someone else will be coming by. They, they really like that idea of, you know, wait 15 days and someone might come by. Mm. So there is that to consider. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that, yes. You know, a friend and I were laughing because his wife when he first took her camping, she says, well, there's not even anyone close enough to hear a scream. (laughs) You know, and I I thought, well, that's what I want, (laughs) right? Mm, right. Why are you screaming? Um, But the, I guess the point of all of that is that there are two perspectives. Some people like the community aspect. Other people want the solitude, Mm. but it sounds like on this trail, you're going to have to be pretty self-sufficient because you might go days without seeing someone else. Yeah. You know, I think that's, you know, that's, I'd I'd say that I recommend that to people because I don't want them to be caught off guard. I don't want them to come out and think there is this strong social network on the trail. Um, We have a very passionate group of volunteers that are out uh, working to support and help hikers. You know, any of them will provide a shuttle or pick you up or give you a hand um, if you need it, but you really can choose to be, to be locked, locked away on your own by yourself out there. 
uh, and and not uh, not running into people on a regular basis if that's what you want. So, you know, you can design your hike however you want. We have a system of people, like I said, that love helping and supporting hikers and backpackers. But you know, they're just as happy to leave you be too and and let you have your own experience. Hmm. Oh, what a neat what a neat thing. So, what about route finding on the trail? And I bring this up because mm-hmm. some people say I, I've heard about the the Continental Divide Trail. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the through hikers says, I doubt that any of us that have through hiked the Continental Divide Trail actually ever walked the same route. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Because it, sure. it's kind of wild and free. You got to do some route finding. There's some places where it's like, well, I got to connect over there and I'm not sure how to get there from here. But right. what about this trail? Is it one that's pretty obvious? Yeah. Well, the, and I would say that, you know, there's, that's been a big difference. And I think a reason for an uptick in the number of people that are, are, are through hiking the trail. Um, but yeah, it's usually really well signed. Um, like I say, we've got plenty of, of, uh, volunteers that while they may not be able to craft, you know, rock walls and retain walls, they can certainly go out and, and make sure that, that those blazes are, are kept up. And, and so it's, yeah, you follow that yellow blaze, uh, you know, until you, until you run out of them and, and it's pretty well signed. Um, you know, certainly like anywhere, there are always things that come up, whether it be a, a high wind event or something like that, that limits it. But we have a trail conditions, uh, section on our website, icehtrail.org that, that helps people with that, that route finding. Um, you know, we also have an app out though. So if people aren't old fashioned like me and like to use those paper maps that they can, you know, use their, their smartphone and, and use that to sort of guide guide their their hike. So, um, a lot of different ways to to access it. But yeah, in general, the route's pretty easy to follow. Well, that's cool. That helps. It helps me to think if if I didn't have a lot of experience backpacking, it helps me to think that okay, here's a trail I really can follow. I shouldn't get too lost if I keep my my eyes up. Right. Yep. 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 Just yeah, keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. you through hiked the trail all the way back in two thousand three. And were you Correct. the eleventh person? Is that right? I was the eleventh um thousand miler. So yeah, person to hike all all uh thousand plus miles of the trail. Yep. Yeah, I was, that's I was wild. the eleventh. That's wild, yeah. and that's fairly recent. Two thousand three, eleven, but then you said at the beginning of the show hundred and fifty people have done it now. Yeah. So when I, so in, from 1958, when our organization was created to 2003, uh, there were 11 and <laughs> 2003 to, uh, you know, 2017, we've just gone over 150,000 milers. And so I think that speaks to the quality, uh, of the trail that we're putting out. Um, I think it speaks to our, our guidebooks and our Atlas packs that people are able to access, but, uh, just our overall, um, awareness building of, of what this trail is. But I also think there's a national sort of feeling of people saying, you know, I want to just go out and hike. I got to get, I got to disconnect and get on the land. And I think that's, you know, we're benefiting from that certainly, but, um, yeah, there's not, uh, not a lot of folks have done it yet. That makes it even more fun in my book. It, it's a yeah. little bit more original that way. So what yeah. is your favorite part of the trail? Oh man, that's a, that's like the worst question in the world. Uh, <laughs> it's tough to say. It's it's really tough to say. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and and pull out uh, a place called the Schwamigan uh, Nicolay, the Jerry Lake segment of the trail. It's it's home to where uh, one of the 
one of the first uh, wolf packs to reintroduce themselves naturally to the state of Wisconsin was was located and uh, it's uh, I'm a fan of of the hemlocks and in those deep deep hemlock uh, woods so yeah i think across the north through the jerry lake segment is is one of my favorites and it doesn't hurt that there's a place up there called the the mondo dam lodge uh, that has uh, ice cream and beer so that always helps on a on a long hike a little place to you know dip your feet and enjoy some of the finer moments in life oh yeah <laughs> you know we started talking about the fauna and we never I'm sorry, we talked about the flora. We yeah. never got to the fauna. Yeah. You just mentioned the wolves. We've got to go there. So what kind yeah. of animals would you expect to encounter? Um, yeah, you know, the it's interesting because uh, most of Wisconsin is is hunted. And, um, you know, the deer gun season here is like a state holiday. Um, so we definitely don't recommend being on the trail during deer gun season. Um, but, you know, lots of whitetail, whitetail deer um, and the the classic northern woods species, lots of black bear. Um, there's a report out today actually just talking about the density of, of black bears across the northern part of the state um, and how that's increasing dramatically. We have uh, wolves have been, you know, naturally reintroduced themselves, uh, wild turkeys, uh, porcupines, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, animals in the weasel family. You know, the list goes on and on. So, um, but nothing, no grizzly bears, um, but uh, or any of those desert species. But uh, that's that's yeah, it's a pretty good spread, and it also depends on where you are in the state. Um, you know, the sandhill cranes in in the northern, or I'm sorry, in the southern uh, marshes and and prairie areas. But uh, it, it's a good good mix, like the trail itself. Luke, I'll bet you knew this already, but sandhill cranes uh, were indigenous with some of the dinosaurs. Yes, and yeah, so that's why they sound like dinosaurs when they're <laughs> flying overhead. Yeah. It, it's kind of fun to talk about an ice age trail, and we're talking about an ice age that happened long time after the dinosaurs. But the cranes were here millions of years before that. It, this is some really ancient history. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's it's. They are prehistoric sounding. I mean, once when I first uh, heard them, I was in Wisconsin, and and they've had a really huge comeback since then. But I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, what is that? <laughs> I've never heard that before. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, a a cool thing to hear. Well, what about wolves? I mean, I think it would be such a thrill to get to hear them in the night. It would just be delightful. But. Um, uh, most of the United States doesn't have a wolf population. People aren't really familiar with wolves. Coyotes, yeah, a little bit more, but not right. wolves. So uh, there, there are all sorts of stories out there. Hollywood does a good job of trying mm-hmm. to misrepresent animals. <laughs> so <laughs> how should we yep. encounter a wolf? I mean, what's the story there? Um, so in, you know, areas uh, at our trailheads, um, you know, we'll have postings if it's, uh, you know, if you're in wolf habitat, um, with some, you know, here's, here's some things to think about. Um, oftentimes you, you will never see them and you're lucky to hear them. Uh, but what we, what we do tell people, um, specifically if they're hiking with a dog, uh, to keep them, you know, on leash, uh, pack animals like a wolf, wolves will, will attack a dog in their territory. Um, way, the way that I sort of, or the, judge where I am in relationship to, to wolves as I, I look one, you know, in the area, certainly like Northern part of the state, but 
But if I'm coming into a, a hiking area where you start getting sort of like the sedge or, you know, low grass with very open understory, that's that's oftentimes where you will find uh, wolves raising their their young. And so that's where when we have sections of trail that go across areas like that, that's when we'll post information like, you know, keep your dog on your leash. Um, you know, you are entering wolf territory and known breeding grounds. Um, but, you know, you hear stories from people that um, – want to hunt wolves that they see them all the time. Um, but we don't, I, I have yet to have a, a definitely confirmed sighting. I think I've seen one twice. Um, but I'm just not 100% there to say, yes, it was a wolf, but you know, they are, they are out there and, and people do report seeing them and, and, you know, hearing them certainly. So, uh, you just get a, be safe and, and know, know where you are in your surroundings and always always think about it that, you know, they're out there somewhere. So, you know, be careful. Yeah. I think that uh, hikers are more familiar with what to do about bears, right? Because especially black bears, I mean, they're everywhere. Right. Um, Are there any special recommendations with wolves? No, I mean, we don't have, uh, because they're so elusive, because they tend to not make themselves known, uh, you know, there aren't, aren't a lot of, lot of uh, considerations there. You know, there have been documented cases where, where, you know, they have gone uh, near humans or gone after humans. Usually they are the ones who are hunting with dogs. Um, and, and so, you know, we just, we say be really alert and, and stay on, on edge, but we haven't really had a situation, uh, where we've had to, you know, put out a statement or, or say anything. We've never had a, a hiker, um, that we know of ever approached by wolves. So, so, you know, I think it's best just to leave them alone and, and no, I mean, you know, we, we encourage, uh, hanging your food across the North, um, but mainly because of the bears, you know, the bear population, but, uh. But yeah, there's not not a lot that we put out in terms of, you know, watch out for this other than trailhead markers. Right, right. Well, I think personally that I would mm-hmm. count myself blessed if I had an opportunity to hear a wolf, much less see one. I think it would be so neat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the, the two that I think I might have seen were fleeting, you know, running across um, a road driving. Another one was, you know, waking up and, and looking out across the, the lake and seeing it scamper across the, the edge until it caught caught wind or or sight of me but uh, i always feel lucky just to think that it possibly could have been you know i mean it's such a magical magical creature and it was certainly a long history and it has been overly demonized but but uh i consider myself lucky as well mm, very very cool so what is the best season for doing a through hike on the ice age trail yeah i would i always recommend in the in the fall you know anytime that if you can finish it um before deer uh hunting season starts which is usually typically the weekend before thanksgiving you know anytime moving backwards from there is, is a good time you know the early spring we have a lot of a uh, lot of bugs a lot of mosquitoes as you can imagine with uh you know thousands of lakes um across the north we have lots of uh bugs and ticks and we do what we are in the Lyme, Lyme disease area. So we encourage uh, strong tick prevention, but I think, you know, in a midsummer to later summer, all those things die back. Um, I just returned from a trip up North uh, yesterday and, you know, didn't wear uh, bug dope once. So, you know, now, now to November is a really good time. And if you can catch the fall color, 
um, in Wisconsin while you're on the trail. That's a really, really special time because those uh, maple forests across the north really just light up and just oranges and reds like like you you know have never seen <laughs> unless you're in another place where there's a maple forest. Mm. Uh, but really, really fantastic uh, walking and then. And the other, you know, the understory starts sort of dying back so you can get a longer view uh, as opposed to being in that, you know, quote unquote green tunnel. You really get a chance to to start seeing the, the geology. Um, you know, recently Mike Summers completed a winter through hike and and the views of the landscape that he he had were, were pretty tremendous because in the wintertime you can see those moraines uh, a little in a little more detail or those eskers or kettles or cames you can really get a good picture of of what the the last glacial advance did to, did to the land it's more of a late summer fall season then i think so i think that'd be if if i did it again that's when it would be that or uh, you know the winter time but yeah definitely a late fall would be would be prime hey guys travis here We've had some listeners write in to ask about ways that they can help support the Adventure Sports Podcast, so we wanted to let you guys know that we've just launched our new Patreon page, so go check it out. It's over at patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. We've built a few patron levels in there with varying benefits. We want to keep bringing you your adventure inspiration twice a week, but we do need help to keep the show going. So head on over to Patreon and consider supporting what we produce. Thanks for listening, guys. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. mentioned ticks i have mm-hmm. to i have to get a little perspective here uh sure. ticks are just about everywhere across the united states uh mm-hmm. obviously where it's warmer and wetter there are more of them mm-hmm. and uh wisconsin gets pretty cold in the winter time so i can't mm-hmm. imagine the tick population is too fierce you might be surprised uh, by that i mean it's it's not you know i don't i don't know how it compares uh to other places in the state but you know for example when when i did my through hike it was in june and july and there were moments where i would you know stop and literally brush them off my gaiters mm. um you know with my hands like not just one but multiple ticks climbing up my legs um and and they they can be pretty bad so uh you know i always mention that as a especially with lyme disease and the prevalence of lyme disease in our area as a as a cautionary tale for people you know bring your bug dope uh you know put tuck your socks in, you know, or tuck your pants into your socks, whatever you need to do, uh, and check regularly because, uh, you know, they, they can spread quite a bit. Okay. So that's good to know. Something to mm-hmm. plan for and watch for, but it's not as much of a factor later in the summer and into the fall. For sure. Yeah. No, and definitely. And I don't think Mike would have had any issues with his winter hike. <laughs> not one. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd well, be surprised if he had a tick. <laughs> yeah. 
So just for a, a quick overview, a winter hike. So Mike was the first one to do it, I guess. Yep. First person to complete a through hike of the Ice Age Trail in the winter. What yep. kind of weather are we talking about if people wanted to get into the winter season? Well, yeah, it really depends on, on the season, you know. Um, but no, you can expect below zero for multiple days on end, everything from from ice to to really, really deep snow. Um, you know, I've been, I've been in the Northwoods with a couple feet of snow on the ground and more coming down. Um, and you know, anywhere in the state is, is subject to that sort of, sort of environment. I mean, you know, there have been milder winters, but, uh, but, uh, any winter in Wisconsin can be, can be pretty frigid. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough road to hoe when you're, when you get out there in the winter time. But, but I, again, I think the, the reward there is just the, the increased view and and uh, a whole new perspective, you know, uh, of what it is to hike and winter backpacking on the trail. On the Ice Age Trail is one of my favorite times to go out because because of those those long views and it's really just a changes the whole look of of the woods and it's dramatically quieter um, and just a, a blanket of white really adjusts how you the lens that you're you're looking through. Mm. You know, we recently interviewed one of the two fellows that did a, a winter through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail, and they were that was a first. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. disappointed because they wanted to ski more than they could. They ended mm-hmm. up having to hike more of it and ski less of it. Um, how much cross-country skiing would one expect if you tried to do a winter through hike of the of the Ice Age Trail? Boy, I think I think you could do. Uh, quite a bit of it um and again you know it depends on on the true part of the winter where you are but um you know i cross-country ski it and i use the the shorter skis with metal edges and it's the backcountry ski and and it's it's a trick in spots but but i think it's definitely doable i would i would strongly consider taking skis if i did a winter long distance hike on it and uh, pulling a sled just because I think it would be a really good way to go if there was enough snow cover. But now you can certainly pull it off. Hmm. And speaking of ways to do the trail, what are the modes of travel that are allowed? Can you mountain bike it? Nope. It's foot travel only, uh, designated by the National Park Service as such. Um, so, yeah, if you can use your feet to do it, have at it. No biking, um, but snowshoeing, skiing, running, hiking, all of those are, are certainly allowable. What about livestock? No livestock. Nope. No pack animals. Okay, so no pack animals, no mountain bikes, but you can ski it, you can hike it, you can run it. Probably you can skate parts of it in the wintertime. <laughs> you probably could, yeah. You can snowshoe <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, you can you can sled it. You can do a lot of different things. Very, very cool. Well, how about this? How about you give us a recommendation? If somebody says, you know what, I am going to go do that trail how do they get started? What do they need to do to prepare for it, and uh, that sort of thing? Sure, um, there are a couple different ways. You know, if calling our office, uh, you know, or emailing anyone on our team here, um, IceAgeTrail.org. Go to our website. You can find all of our contact information. That's that's a really good way to to uh, figure out you know what we recommend, especially if you're coming from out of state. Um, so I think that's that's a good step. If you don't want to talk to anyone uh, at our team, then you know I, w- I would purchase a copy of the Ice Age Trail Guidebook uh, or Atlas. There are two different documents or two different books that we put out that really give it a step-by-step 
um, description of, of the trail. Um, and then there's also the app Mammoth Tracks that's put out by Gut Hooks that uh, is really good for, you know, for people that, that like to use their phone when they walk. So any of those sorts of research pieces I think are, are helpful to begin with or and certainly calling. Um, but if they're coming, someone wants to come in and just do, say, a few days um, in an area that they know, then I would reach out to our local volunteers. All of their contact information is on our website and just, you know, find out if they had any of those straight line winds or any major events that that caused uh, significant damage on the trail and, and then get hear from them because they're the ones who are spending, you know, day after day on that section of trail. Mm. That sounds really, really cool. So you mentioned the website. What is the website URL? Uh, IceAgeTrail.org. And I accidentally typed IceAgeTrail.com and then it did reroute me, so. Oh, did Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, IceAgeTrail.org. Um, this is kind of an off-the-wall question, but why do this trail instead of one of the, the big three, say? Why would you say that this, if you want this, this is the trail for you? Um, I think, well, you, you touched on a couple things. Um, you know, it's not quite as long if you're looking for something that, you know, kind of gets you out over the course of, say, 40, 50 days or so. Um but the other thing for me is the you know, two things, the diversity of the trail, um, the route that it takes in from the, the prairies and, and the lake shore to the, to the woods of the north, um, and then just the, the time to be alone. You know, it really is a chance to, to be alone if that's what you want. And, and uh, you know, the, if you don't want to be alone, if you want to walk into any of the number of establishments in Wisconsin, you know, the people are really friendly. Um, you know, when I did my thruic, it was to get away from people, and it turned out that what uh, was probably one of the highlights of me was, you know, uh, restoration and faith of of the human species, you know, and feeling like, well, there there really are great people, and a lot of them happen to be in Wisconsin. So, um, you know, I feel feel pretty strongly about that opportunity to get away, but also the the support network that rests underneath uh, is always there. Oh, that's cool. I was just getting ready to ask about the logistics. You know, this sounds to me like this is a six to eight week trail for most people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's long enough. You're not going to carry your food for the whole distance, right? right. So you're going to have to have right. resupply points. Are they mm -hmm. readily available? Is it is it really easily doable or does it take a little bit more planning? Um, well, I didn't use a bounce box or anything when I went and I got a piece of advice from, uh, Sharon Jingle, who was a, a triple crowner and, and who hiked the ice age trail, I think a year or two before me. And she said, you know, if you can, if you can eat out of a gas station, you can through hike the ice age trail. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the advice I give, give to folks. Uh, and, and, you know, I went cold on my hike because there were opportunities to, to stop and have that warm meal. Um, every so often are enough that I've, I felt comfortable with. So, so I think, you know, the, there are certainly enough post office along the way, if you wanted to do bounce boxes, you could, but, but I think you can resupply in small little mom and pop shops and, and, uh, you know, gas stations and whatnot along the way, if you need to. Wow. It, it just sounds like a, the perfect place if someone wanted to do a shorter through hike and mm -hmm. do something that's a little less done. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, how can people help out? So you've got this alliance, the Ice Age Trail Alliance, that mm -hmm. helps to care for the trail. It's in partnership with some other organizations mm -hmm. that work to uh, to create and preserve the trail. But I'm sure that there are volunteer opportunities. What what can people do if they want to be a part of the fun? 
Oh, absolutely. No, that's a, we are a volunteer-based organization, and that's you know something that we we take great pride in. And uh, so we have twenty volunteer chapters across the state, and these are usually by county. And so we've got the local folks that are meeting on a regular basis, planning hikes, uh, planning work days, and and trying to take care of their little uh, section of the trail or their portion of the trail that they value. But um, in terms of like coming from out of state, we also have a, a program called the Mobile Skills Crew. And this is the the trail building uh, arm of the organization, if you will, where you know we'll we'll go to a lot of times the places where the local volunteers don't um, have the capacity to to take on a bigger scale project. And so you know we'll take our three or four trailers up there with our full camp kitchen. We provide a place to camp. We provide all your meals, um, and you got to go out in the field with uh, dedicated uh, crew leaders and trained highly trained crew leaders that that guide you in the work of everything from you know just cutting basic trail to uh to creating a, a clear span bridge and everything in between so you mentioned partners we work with a lot of partners to to get that work done from the national park service to the forest service u.s fish and wildlife uh local wisconsin dnr and all sorts of other like-minded organizations that that come out and help us uh take care of this you know this trail that 1.26 million people use every year you know there's a there's a lot of um a lot of uh, a lot of value for those people that you know use it every day in their in their daily routine. So uh, we get a lot of support, and that's I would recommend joining any local organization or a local chapter or uh, the Mobile Skills Crew uh, for uh, for volunteer opportunities. So if someone wanted to do this Mobile Skills mm-hmm. Crew, um, yep. what size is the crew? Oh, well, uh, we've had as many as 350 people on a trail construction project. 356, I think, if I remember wow. correctly, was the, the high <laughs> mark uh, to at some point, you know, sometimes we'll have 40 or so folks out, uh, you know, working on the on the trail in different different spots. What's the time um, commitment for that? Oh, take you for as long as you want to join us. Uh, the, the projects typically... Uh, run about four days or so. Uh, depends on the project, the site, and a lot of other logistics. But we have people that show up for a day to, uh, you know, the full time uh, and and join us. So, like I said, there's free food, free camp, free place to camp, and um, you've got someone who can help you with the uh, art and science of trail building when you're out there. All right. So people could get more information about that. I'll bet from the website as well. Yep, absolutely. Yep, go to uh, our uh, go to the website, and then under about the IATA, um, there's a click or a link to the Mobile Skills Crew and also our volunteer chapters. Okay, I'm going to ask you to shoot from the hip on this one for our last question. Okay. <laughs> Will you yeah, yeah. kind of close out the show by just sharing the story about a really wonderful experience that you had on this trail? Oh yeah, man. Uh, there's a lot of them. That's tough. Um, but I always go back to, to, uh, a really changing, changing moment for me on, on my through hike. And, um, I, you know, I was, I was sort of chasing this ghost the whole way. This guy, uh, was hiking ahead of me. You may have heard of him, uh, Clint Bunting trail named Lint, who's gone on to become a triple, triple crowner and just oh, yeah. a you know, beast of a hiker. Um, but he was about, you know, always he was a uh, started a month before me, and he was ahead of me on the trail. And uh, you know, we, we had a communication network uh, back and forth. But um, you know, reconnecting with him uh, on the trail was always 
uh, afterwards. It was, it was something that, that was fond, a uh, fond memory for me. But, but you know, he had warned me about the the north through our uh, through our communication channels, and and he told me about Langlade County, one of the counties, and how it feeds into Lincoln County, another challenging stretch and uh, a spot in between the two of, of Lincoln and then the next county, Taylor, that was pretty pretty tough and. So I, I I hiked through with this sort of thought in mind that uh, that this is going to be challenging and and I remember getting to this point on the trail where I stopped and uh, the side of the road and and this uh, old pickup truck pulled up on the side of the road and this uh, gentleman got out an older guy got out and he left the car door open and uh, on his pickup and and he came down and he sat down next to me and and for for about an hour, we talked about everything that, uh, you know, you shouldn't talk about <laughs> with strangers, <laughs> from, you know, politics and religion and everything that you're not supposed to mention. And, and, uh, I'm not sure why, um, I connected so strongly with him, but, uh, when he left, I just had a complete and total like meltdown, uh, you know, broke down entirely. And, and that's when I think I sort of purged um, all of this, you know, these expectations of myself and this, uh, you know, these things that I was feeling like I should be doing and had to be doing. And, and that's when it really became real for me just to hike my own hike and, and really just um, get in touch with what I what I needed in the world. And I realized that all the complaints and things that I was running from were just a result of me being a big baby. And, and uh, I was pretty insignificant and and with uh, insignificant comes uh, just unlimited freedom uh, mm. when you don't have to worry so much about what you think about things and no one really – it doesn't really matter in the big scale. And I think glacial time has a way of, of highlighting that. And and so that was a sort of that cumulative effect of, of, uh, of hiking within uh, those parameters and how it just sort of all melted away. And that's the one that sticks with me the strongest. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I, I have tried to share with our listeners and our, our various guests have, you know, about how when you do an adventure sport, when you do a through hike, when you do something like this, how it can impact you in such positive ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had a lot of our guests who talk about how this was the demon that they overcame, or this is the insight that they got, or this is how it changed their lives. But what you just said, I think, was so well put um, I encourage our listeners, rewind about 30 seconds, listen to that one again, because that was really well said, and I think that's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So thank thanks you. for that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, and also, thank you for being on the show today. I loved hearing about the Ice Age Trail. It sounds like a fascinating trail to hike, really, really cool. Um, listeners... Go on our website, leave some comments, let us know what you know about it, hook up about this. Maybe we can uh, get more people on the trail experiencing it who um, can help to support the trail as well through volunteer opportunities and all that sort of thing. I'm really glad to know about the trail. Sounds like a a wonderful option for through hikers, for people that want to take an extended vacation or people that might want to do a shorter vacation and just enjoy a part of the country that a lot of people don't know as much about. So, Luke, thank you very much. Thank you, Kurt. It was my pleasure. Good talking with you today. Yep. Uh, you bet. And for all of our listeners out there, you know what I'm going to say. Until the next show, get out there. Have some fun.
Hey guys, summer is almost over and Kurt and I have not taken a much needed break, so we are going to do that next week. Um, next week we will run a couple of our favorite episodes while we do take a break. So sit back, relax, and enjoy those. If you really find yourself missing us, feel free to visit our new Patreon page at patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast and consider being a sponsor. We really, really would appreciate that. But we'll be back with episode 300 after our break. And until then, get out and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs>